0: Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church, and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Okay, First Timothy chapter 6. We're going to jump back into First Timothy. We've been out of the book for a few weeks, um, and I think it's just good to be mindful of what we have learned in this book so far. Paul has urged Young Pastor Timothy and his church to refute false teachers and to teach the true doctrine that Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man. He has helped Timothy and his church understand the different roles that, that each gender plays in the church. And he's set up the qualifications and calling for leadership in the church. He's challenged this young pastor to set an example of godliness by watching his life and watching his teaching and he's taught the church how to care for those in need and how to care for its elders and leaders. And a few weeks ago, Luis did a great job of talking to us about how God cares for his people, that he cares about what we teach and what we learn, and he cares about our physical needs like food and clothing. And today we're going to close out our First Timothy study, and here's what I hope we will learn. If you're new with us, you should have got an outline, and on the outline it'll have a big idea, and here's the big idea that we hope to learn today the fight of faith is confessing Christ pursuing Christ living and living like Christ through the power of Christ i want to read that again the fight of faith is confessing Christ pursuing Christ <clears throat> and living like Christ through the power of Christ so stand with me and let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 11 through 21 and then we'll pray as we're done. And we stand here because this is God's word. We want to honor God as we read his inspired word. And we're going to read out of 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 11. This is the reading of God's word. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Oh Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by it, por- by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear. We thank you that it is good for our souls, and we thank you that it points us to our Savior, Jesus. And this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes to the wonders of Christ and to his work on our behalf and how we as your people follow Christ by the power of Christ. And we thank you. Lord, we need this word today. So open our hearts to you. open our minds to the truths that we see. May we see wonderful things in your law. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, you may be seated. <clears throat> now after we read that text, I want you to look with me again at the big idea, because I want you to see this, and I want you to see some things about it. The fight of faith is confessing Christ, pursuing Christ. And living like Christ through the power of Christ. Now I want you to notice something about that. You're going to notice this in the text as well. I want you to notice how regular and how ordinary this is. Notice this is not putting on battle fatigues and going to a conference on spiritual warfare. It's not dressing up like Rambo, nor is it being militant. The fight of faith is often talked about in really odd ways in Christian circles. Some of you might be old enough to remember certain radio uh, uh, stars in Christian media talking about the fight of faith being demonic deliverances or seeking out satanic confrontations or being on the front lines of Christian ministry. We hear that often. Some have been taught... That the fight of faith is making sure that we don't get infected by worldliness. And the way that we fight worldliness is to pull ourselves into what I would call little holy huddles with little to no engagement with the outside world or non-Christians. Because we, we believe the fight of faith is to keep ourselves unstained or untouched by the world. Some have taught that the fight of faith is found in secret messages in the Bible or secret codes in the Bible, and they make things really hard or complex. And if you want to be a true overcomer in the kingdom of God, you need to learn all the secret ways of God that are found in these secret codes. But I want you to notice something. The fight of faith is simply confessing Christ, pursuing Christ, and living like Christ through the power of Christ. We're going to see that in the text. I didn't say it was easy. I said it was simple. It's not confusing. It's not overly complex. And it's most certainly not a secret. The God that you serve, the God that you believe in as a child of God, is not Jehovah Sneaky who is hiding things from you. He is not a God who is hiding things behind a a, a certain little tablet that you have to find some secret prayer to get into. No, your God... Your heavenly father is a faithful God and a good father who wants you as his child to fight the good fight of faith. And better yet, he's revealed to you in his word what it is, and he's given you power to do it through the power of Christ. That's what I want us to see this morning. And the reason why that is important for us right now is because most of us, and I look around the room at those of us that I love and know, we are all basically very ordinary people. We live basically very ordinary lives. Just think back to your week this week and ask yourself, what did you do come Monday morning of last week? Most of us got out of bed, put our feet on the floor. Hopefully you took a shower and brushed your teeth. We drank a cup of coffee, we opened our Bible, we read maybe a chapter, a few verses, we prayed a little prayer to ask God to bless our day, we ate some breakfast, we then went, if we have children, we went and kissed them on the forehead or hugged them before we left the the house, kissed our spouse, got in the car, drove to work, worked all day long for 8 hours, 12 hours, 14 hours, we came back home, we ate dinner, we got to maybe hang out with our family and our friends a little bit, we went to bed and guess what we did on Tuesday morning? We did it all over again. And if we're not careful, we will begin to think the fight of faith is something extravagant out there somewhere and forget that Paul, in the majority of the Bible, is writing about people living normal, everyday, ordinary lives and the fight of faith has to be something that is normal and ordinary for all of us to live in. That's why we must see that the fight of faith is simply confessing Christ, pursuing Christ, and living like Christ by the power of Christ and through the power of Christ every day of our normal lives. So let's dive in by looking at our first point, which is going to seem odd. We're going to begin at an odd spot in this text, and the reason I want to do that is because of where Paul left off. I want you to notice something with me in verse 16 real quick is the ending word in verse 16. You know what the ending word is? It's the word amen. You know what Paul has done in verses 11 through 16? As Paul has talked to young Pastor Timothy about something, and he got to the end, and he began to worship the God of creation, and he was ending his book. And then suddenly it's almost like Paul picked his head up and realized, I forgot to tell Timothy how to handle rich people. And then he adds something at the book about people being rich. So you might think, now what does this have to do with This is our first point because I don't want us to miss something in the text. In verses 8 through 10 and verses 7 through 19, Paul's going to talk about those who desire to be rich and those who are rich. I want to start here because of where we've left off in verse 10. In verses 1 through 10, Paul has talked about false teachers who taught that godliness was a means or a way to get rich you can see that in verse five when he said that some thought that godliness was was, was a means of great gain yet paul said and flipped that argument it's on its head by saying that godliness is a means of great spiritual and eternal gain if it's accompanied with contentment and then he went on to talk about how we can be content knowing that our true needs are food and clothing and if we have those needs We can be content. But then he ended that section with a remarkable warning in verse 10. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by it some have wandered from the faith and hurt themselves. See, in verses 1 through 10, Paul addresses people who desire to be rich. And he's addressing the false teaching that we might call in our day and age the prosperity gospel. That basically believes this, if we live a certain way, we pray certain prayers, we do certain things, we can expect that God will bless us financially. And Paul's warning about this false teaching is clear. The root of this type of teaching is the love of money which will lead to all sorts of pangs or all sorts of problems, and it is a false teaching. People will wander from the faith, and they are hurt when the love of money takes root in the hearts of people. But then notice verses 17 through 19, because Paul takes up another group of people. He talks about the the money discussion again after this segue into his discussion with Timothy, only this time he talks about those who are actually rich. Not those who want to be rich, but those who actually are rich. And I want you to notice that his instructions are two-sided. There's a negative side, and there's a positive side. The negative side is, don't be proud, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, because they will go away one day. On the positive side, he says, put your hope in God, do good, be rich in good works, and be generous and ready to share. He says, living like this will set up an eternal treasure and will lead to a happy, satisfying life of true joy. Notice something that Paul did not say to the rich in this text. He did not tell the rich to stop being rich. He didn't tell the rich to give up all they had and take a vow of poverty and sell everything and give the proceeds to the poor. He told the rich people to not put their trust... In the uncertainty of their possessions, but put their trust in the certainty of the God of the universe. He told them to not be proud about their riches, but to put their hope in God and be ready to share whenever they have opportunity. Now, in these two sections of scripture, verses 1 through 10 and verses 17 through 19, what Paul is doing is he's dealing with every person in the church. Those who want to be rich. And the love of money dictating our attitudes and our actions. And those who are rich with money dictating our attitudes and our actions. In other words, none of us are immune of the problem of the love of money and the false teaching that would be derived from the love of money. Paul leaves no one out. John Stott, in writing on these two sections of scripture, wrote this to cover all of it. He said, Against materialism... In obsession with material possessions, he sets simplicity of lifestyle. Against asceticism, the repudiation of the material order, he sets gratitude for God's creation. Against covetousness, the lust for more possessions, he sets contentment with what we have. Against selfishness, the accumulation of goods for ourselves, he sets generosity in imitation of God. Now listen to this. Simplicity, gratitude, contentment... And generosity constitute a healthy quadrilateral of Christian living. See, no matter where you might find yourself with the issue of money, whether you desire to be rich or you are rich, God has an answer. And if your battle is your possessions are possessing you... As a Christian, your heart is to be set on God and ready to give as God directs. If your battle is you want more possessions and your possible future possessions are possessing you, as a Christian, you can rest in this fact. Your God, who's your father, knows exactly what you need and he has provided for those needs. Now it's with that backdrop in mind... Knowing the love of money is overriding this entire chapter, we can clearly see what Paul's getting at in verse 11 through 15, or 11 through 14, excuse me, and understand the meat of the text. That's our second point, which is fighting the good fight of faith. Knowing this battle, knowing this false teaching that's out there, knowing the love of money that Paul is addressing, we can understand why Paul told Timothy in verse 11, but as for you, O man of God... See, without understanding that context, we don't know what these things are. And these things that Paul is referencing is what we saw in verse 10, the love of money being a root of all sorts of evil. Meaning young Timothy, this young pastor, is not to be leading his church with a love of money consuming his heart. It would make sense why in 1 Timothy 3 verse 3 that one of the qualifications then of an elder and a pastor is he's not to be what? A lover of money. So Paul is writing to young pastor Timothy and telling him basically, Timothy and all pastors everywhere are to flee from the love of money because a root of a a, because the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and it will lead lots of people astray. And friends, you don't have to look very far in your world to see that happening. The prosperity gospel is running rampant in many parts of our world. And those of us who are gospel preachers have to go in and basically rescue people from the dangers of what they're hearing of a prosperity gospel that says, if I say certain things or do certain things, God is obligated to bless me financially. But if we think that this passage is just for pastors, we're going to miss out really on what Paul is doing here. Remember, Paul wanted Timothy to read this letter to his congregation. So the congregation would hear, those who are rich, those who desire to be rich, not just targeting pastors. And when you read Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, you can notice as well how Paul talks about covetousness being idolatry, and he's talking to all Christians everywhere. So the point that Paul is making here is this warning is not just for pastors, this warning is for all Christians. So all Christians and pastors are to flee from the love of money. We're to flee from the false doctrine that would teach us that godliness is a means of financial gain. We're to flee from a name it, claim it type of lifestyle or a performance based religious life that says because we obeyed God, God is now obligated to bless us financially. He says flee from this. Now before you think that you're not into this type of thing. If it hasn't happened to you at some point in your life, it's probably because you're not old enough. At some point, you will experience the moment when the proverbial stuff hits the fan, and you are looking back at your life, and in your heart, you will say to God at one point in your life, God, you don't understand. I have given my life to you and all these years. I've served you, and, and this is what I have? Do you see the subtleties of the prosperity gospel The false gospel depositing in your heart. Do you see the moment when your life is thinking, because I did, God is obligated to. And Paul tells us very clearly, we're to flee from such teaching. Flee from that type of lifestyle. One thing you're going to notice when you read your Bibles, though... Is when Paul says to flee from something or he says to put off something, you'll always notice something else that Paul does. Paul will say, don't just flee from something. He'll say, flee to something. And we'll notice this in our text that we're in. And I love this about Paul because he doesn't just leave us with, hey, don't don't let the love of money take root in your hearts. He also says, go after something. And notice what Paul says in verses 11 through 14. He says to Timothy, flee from these things, but he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the commands in this text. Don't lo- don't pursue the love of money. Or the pains that it causes Instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness And don't pursue the false doctrine or false confessions That think that godliness is a means of great gain But rather take hold, cling to eternal life And the good confession that you made in the presence of many witnesses And Timothy, keep the commandment unstained and above reproach And because these are commands, we need to sit straight up in our seats and pay attention. These are commands from God, given to us by God, written by the hand of the great apostle. And he would say, flee from the love of money and from false doctrine and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and steadfastness and gentleness. Lay hold of eternal life and the confession of faith and keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach." Now listen, you can see all the commands But if we're not careful, those of us who are checklist people like I am, I have reminders on my phone. I love to check things off. And the moment I check it off, it feels like the Holy Spirit has landed and revival has hit, right? You know that moment, right? We will read the text. We will simply deduce. All we need to do is obey the text and pursue the things that are listed, confess the things that are listed, and just keep ourselves pure and we're going to be good. Do this, don't do that, and we're fine. We got it all together. But there's something in the text that I want you to notice that Paul does. See, not only does Paul show us flee from to flee to, always in Paul's writings, when you see a command, you should always be searching for where is the power to obey the command? Where do I see Jesus revealed in such a way that will help me obey the command? And then when you read your Bibles, you also should be looking for repeated words, repeated phrases. And Paul does something for us really easy in this text. He puts them back to back. I want you to notice a repeated phrase that's going to show us to confess Christ, pursue Christ, and live like Christ through the power of Christ. And it's it's remarkably important we understand this. Verses 12 and 13, notice the one little phrase, the good confession. In verse 12, Paul said that Timothy made the good confession in front of many witnesses. In verse 13, Paul wrote that Jesus first made the good confession in front of Pontius Pilate. So we have to ask, what in the world is Paul talking about, the good confession? And why is this good confession so important that Paul would repeat it twice to remind us Timothy, you made the good confession, but the one before you, Jesus made the good confession. Why is that important? What is it and why is it important? So let's look at what it is first. This good confession is the confession that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus is the King, that he is the Savior. If you were to do your cross-referencing in your Bible and take a look at where this confession might take you in other places, one place you would land would be in Matthew chapter 27, where Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate asked him a question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you have said so yourself. The good confession that Paul is referencing is the confession that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is the King. And I want you to notice something about this, that Jesus is the first one to confess this truth for all the world to hear. He is the Christ, the Son of God, the King. So when Paul is talking about this good confession that Timothy made and that Jesus made before him, that's what he's referencing. Now, the reason why that's important is because the first proclaimer, the best proclaimer of this truth that Jesus is the king was Jesus. Meaning this, the truth that Jesus is the king did not originate with Timothy. It did not originate with Paul. It originated with the God of the universe, And when Jesus came as the son of God, what did Jesus do? He proclaimed, I am the king. Jesus is the first one to confess his the truth of his kingship. And all Timothy is doing, listen, is just following his king's footsteps. The same good confession that started with Jesus is followed by Timothy. And listen, it's really followed by us. If Jesus did not confess his kingship, you and I are not sitting here confessing his kingship. Now, why is that important that Jesus was the first one to confess this? Because in the text, you're going to notice something fascinating, that this isn't the only thing we follow Jesus in. Jesus is also the forerunner, the first one, the perfect one to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, love. Steadfastness and gentleness. Jesus is the fountainhead of these things. He is the only one who perfectly pursued these things. And when you and I confess that Jesus is the Christ like He did, we are simply saying we are going to follow our King into what He has already done. He is our leader, our guide, our shepherd. So everything Paul tells us to pursue in this text, Jesus has already Perfectly pursued. Now throughout the text you're going to notice a pattern. We confess Christ. We pursue Christ. We follow Christ. And we live like Christ. A confession of Christ as king means I will pursue him as my king. I will follow him as my king. And I want to live like my king has lived. But that also means we cannot live like our king lived Without our king residing within us. See, the things Paul lists in the text, and you don't have to look very far in your life to notice this, all the things listed are not natural to us. Righteousness is not natural to us, <clears throat> gentleness is not natural to us, love is not natural to us. Our natural way is to covet, to be greedy. To be proud and pursue our own interests. Why is it that the moment your children can speak, the moment they can talk, and the moment you give them a Lego, they immediately cry what? Mine. Did you teach them that? No. That's in their heart. Why is it, as an old pastor friend told me years ago, an old southern guy, our natural tendency as humans is to get all we can and can all we get. For us to pursue any of the things Paul lists in the text, it will require us following the good confession of our Savior and King and his power to be at work in us through us saying, we are yours, you are ours, and we're following you as you confess who you are. Now notice with me again that when we confess Christ, we pursue Christ, and we live like Christ to the power of Christ. Notice what Paul calls this. He calls it the good fight of faith. Do you see how ordinary this is? you see how normal this is to the Christian life? This is not being an overcomer with some military badges on your sleeve. This is not militant. This is normal. The good fight of faith is simply this. It is getting up every morning, confessing Christ, pursuing Christ, and seeking to live like Christ through the power of Christ. The good fight of faith is clinging to your good confession of Christ because your Savior has already made that confession. It is setting your face toward Christ to pursue Christ and knowing that the only way you can live like Christ is through the power of Christ at work within you because you know what's in you that can't do that without the power of Christ. See Again, do you you see how simple this is? (laughs) I didn't say easy. But simple, not complex, not a secret code that you're having to unlock certain numbers in the Bible to see where this lines up with certain pieces and why this matters to a life nobody knows. Confess Christ, pursue Christ, and live like Christ through the power of Christ. How refreshing is that? See, you know what that means? That means that every one of us sitting in the room, every one of us can do that. So you may be wondering why why as a mom I'm a stay-at-home mom, I got little babies running around and I'm telling you, it feels like I'm cleaning rear ends and I'm wiping up messes and all day long. Where does this fit in the kingdom of God, dear mother? You are revealing to these beautiful kids the power of Christ at work in you. I get up every day, I go to this job that I don't even like. Where am I to fit in the kingdom of God? You you are fitting in the kingdom of God by confessing Christ, pursuing Christ, and seeking to live like Christ. No matter where you may find yourself, whether that's a school teacher, a lawyer, you're collecting garbage, or you're doing baseball stuff like I do virtually every day of my life right now, right? You're in the world confessing Christ, pursuing Christ, seeking to live like Christ through the power and the love of Christ. The front lines of Christian ministry are in your heart. They're in you. The most important battleground you're going to battle is your heart, confessing Christ, pursuing Christ, seeking to live like Christ through the power of Christ. So so I have to ask, right? I mean, do do you confess Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is your Savior and your King, the one who has come to die on the cross for your sin, rose again from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God? Do you believe in that? See, these things that Paul lists are impossible for you if you're not in Christ. Do you pursue Christ if you claim Christ? Is he a part of your daily living that when you put your feet on the ground, your thoughts are, God, just today help me serve you. If you want to know how self-sufficient you live life, just ask yourself how much of your day goes on without you acknowledging the God of the universe. Do you seek to live like Christ through the power of Christ? Are you trying to be godly through the power that's available to you in Christ? Do you treat others with love through the power of Christ because of how He has loved you? Are you gentle with those who disagree with you? Because Jesus was really gentle with you when you disagreed with Him. See, confess Christ, pursue Christ, and live like Christ through the power of Christ. Now Let's look at the last point, which is brief. It's the blessed and only sovereign you're going to see this in in verse 15 and 16 you know when i think of this text verses 15 and 16 how it fits in this whole thing you're going to notice something fascinating paul it's like what paul does in most of his writings he goes on he's writing a bunch of things and all of a sudden he starts worshiping god and then he ends with this amen in this text of scripture it's like 15 and 16 are like the binding of a book right it holds everything together without Verses 15 and 16, there's no reason to confess Christ, pursue Christ, and live like Christ through the power of Christ. There's no reason for it. Paul's instructions to Timothy to live this way only make sense if there's one end to this entire life. And notice what Paul told Timothy to do. He said, Timothy, do these things, pursue these things, confess these things, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ And then he described Jesus as the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen, to him be honor and eternal dominion. So you might ask, what what is the end game of confessing Christ, pursuing Christ, and living like Christ through the power of Christ? What's in it? Where's this going? Here's where it's going It's that the blessed and only sovereign, Jesus Christ, might receive all the honor and eternal dominion. If Jesus is not the blessed and only sovereign, there is no way to live like this. It's like what Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15. If there is no resurrection of the dead, and we hope in this life only, we are people most to be pitied. What Paul is saying here is, because this will happen, all glory and honor and eternal dominion will go to Christ. This is the way we're to live. It's the only way to live. See, life in the church, as we've seen through 1 Timothy, is to be lived so that Jesus might be honored and have eternal dominion. The reason why the church is to teach sound doctrine centered on Jesus is so that Jesus might be honored and have eternal dominion. The reason why leadership in the church matters to God Is because Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign, not the leadership team of the church. The reason why we are to care for others in the church who are in need is so that Jesus might be honored and have eternal dominion. See, the reason we're to confess Christ, pursue Christ, and live like Christ through the power of Christ is so that Christ, who is the blessed and only sovereign, might be honored and have eternal dominion. This is the only way to live if that is true. So listen, is the blessed and only sovereign your King of Kings and Lord of Lords dictating how you live your life? Are you living in such a way that will bring him honor and dominion in your heart, in your home, in the workplace, and the people that you're influencing around you? And listen, and do you see, as we've discussed this, The part that you play in the everyday work of honoring and bringing dominion to your great king, right, as he sets it all up everywhere. And the beautiful thing is, where has he put Christians? All over this globe to confess Christ, pursue Christ, live like Christ, to the power of Christ. For what end that this king, the blessed and only sovereign, might receive all the honor and have eternal dominion? Do you see the part you play here? Let's pray. Father, what a gift it is to hear once again that you have set things up in such a way that your son may be glorified and that he may have dominion over all things. This is why we send men like Dave Quilla out to go teach pastors and equip people. This is why we go live life in our cubicle or in our excavator or in our classroom or at home and we confess Christ and we, we want to pursue Christ. We want to live like Christ because we want you, Jesus, to be glorified and have eternal dominion. So Father, would you... Would you go to work in us? I, I as I prayed this morning in the early service, I I think that most of us think, man, wow, dominion over all things and the whole world and the universe is just immense. I just want Jesus to have dominion over every part of my heart. And this morning, Father, I pray that you would you would invade our hearts, that you would you would reveal to us the areas of our lives where Jesus is not reigning as supreme King. <laughs> And deal with us in those areas. We confess to you our pride. We confess to you our self-focus. We confess to you our, our small-minded things. And how much bigger things are when we think we're living for the glory of our eternal king, not for the good of our bank accounts. What a difference of size and breadth and width and expanse. Raise our gaze to the wonders of the living Christ. And help us to live life for the glory of God, the advancement of your gospel. Help us to confess Christ, to pursue Christ, and to live like Christ through the power of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.